Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, And put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Now, this story uh, is famous for giving Thomas the nickname, Doubting Thomas, and it's worth kind of reflecting on our history with doubt and how we get to a place where we're going to wrestle with doubt today. Uh, We are all shaped by the history that goes before us. We're shaped by uh, a tradition uh, that makes us more skeptical or more doubt or makes us entrench into faith without wanting to wrestle. Uh, but I want to kind of give us the, the main trajectory. Uh, you get into kind of the uh, classical philosophical approach of that humans are the way that we think. Uh, and so it makes us have extra anxiety because I think I need to know how to think correctly. Uh, and so with Descartes, everyone knows kind of I think, therefore I am. Uh, the phrase began actually, I doubt, therefore I think, and I think, therefore I am. Uh, And so doubt became a part of the thinking process, which helped you to understand that you are a thinking being. And so we put a high level of emphasis on the way that we think. Uh, And we want to recognize, though, that not everybody has the same access uh, to that thinking self. Uh, We know that there are mental health disabilities and things like that that make uh, some of our thinking processes more challenging. And so some of us, we've inherited this how you think is the most important thing ever, uh, and sometimes that's a barrier to people because not everyone has that same level of access. And, and maybe you've seen that with some of the older members of your life that you've loved and cared for, and as they've lost some of their memory or some of their ability uh, to think, maybe there becomes this anxiety around, well, are they still that person or not because we've wrapped so much of our identity into just the way that we think. Uh, But that's in the water, that thinking really matters to us, that we are different as a species. We're different than animals because of our rational thoughts and our ability to think. And so the natural progression of that line of thinking becomes that as we gained more knowledge, we started checking boxes of we know how this process works and that process works. And so when people started discovering more and more scientific things, like with Charles Darwin, as they start explaining things in the natural world, uh, the church starts to feel uneasy, and they're like, wait, we don't like that you're taking more and more things from my sphere of thinking about how God is working, and 
And, and so there became this anxiety around thinking. Uh, and it was, can I just believe this without thinking about all of that other stuff? And so a lot of Christianity became wrapped up in wanting to push away certain types of thought. Don't think that way. Don't, don't ask those questions. And so for our, our Catholic brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, their answer to the tension was in the 1800s, they started thinking about calling the Pope infallible, that he could speak with full authority and, and would be uh, trustworthy. And so he became a figure for trustworthiness in the midst of doubt and anxiety. For most of us as Protestants, uh, our answer became uh, the Bible. Like that was the easy answer of, well, if the Bible says something, of course that's automatically it. Stop thinking about it. No more questions. And so we didn't like when the Bible had tensions or struggles of like, wait, um, you know, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are two different creation stories, and let's not think about that too much. Uh, but the Bible became the source of certainty, because that's what we ended up wanting. I don't want to think, I don't want to doubt, I want certainty. And so uh, we didn't want to think too much about, well, which Bible is that certainty? Uh, because you know, for Catholics or for Protestants, there's some different books or some different orderings of books. Or if you go to the, in the Middle East into Syriac Christianity, they got a little bit of different books. But maybe if you're in your own church and you're like, well, we've got our book list and I feel certain in that book list. Uh, but you might have different translations. And if you've ever been in a book group reading through the Bible and you've had maybe a dozen translations, sometimes there's beauty in that. Sometimes there's struggle in that because it messes with the certainty. Like, well, my translation says this, and I feel really comfortable saying the interpretation then means this. And then another translation muddies the waters for you. Uh, and so we enter into uh, the tension of our lives, which is we know more and more with access to internet and textbooks. And like, we know more than anybody has had access to information-wise, but we struggle with what do I believe, and we are so wrapped up in our identity statements that... Uh, if you say a slightly different belief, are you one of me or not? And so we're all in this tension together of what do I believe? And so doubt becomes a potential scary thing for a lot of people. And so I want to ask, is there a place for doubt and faith? Is there a place for doubt and faith? Now, I, I want to point out up front that doubt actually has some ambiguities to it uh, because it matters what you're doubting. If I have false information in front of me and I doubt it, that's a positive thing, right? You want to doubt false things. You want to have suspicions on some things that aren't true. But if you doubt things that are good and true and might be life-giving, that's going to perhaps lead to some problems. Uh, the same thing is true, though, if you're, like, really believing. If you really believe great things, wonderful. If you're really, really positive and optimistic and believe things that aren't true, it's going to take you into some trouble. Um, so doubt has a place in life. We, we don't want to see anybody who just believes every single thing that they're ever told or ever read. Uh, that would be a challenging existence. But it matters how doubt is used, how doubt is experienced. And so what I think is, is most of us don't actually spend a whole lot of time doubting. Most of us spend a lot of time believing or disbelieving. So if you think about, pick what news source you don't trust. If they have a headline, you've already made up your mind, I trust them or I don't. A lot of times we're not actually in that 
in-between space of like, maybe I should research this, maybe I should find out for myself. It might be true, it might not be true. Most of us just categorize as disbelief or belief. And so most of us actually don't sit in doubt as often. And so uh, maybe for you, uh, I don't know what kind of things fall into this disbelief category, but uh, there are certain kinds of stories that somebody might share about their own lives that you might just immediately decide disbelief or belief. Um, for, for people, of if you've heard alien abduction stories, you probably have decided about whether you just put that in belief or disbelief. Uh, and many of us don't actually sit in that doubt and in the in-between. But um, I, I find that what's really interesting is where disbelief fires in our brains. Uh, it, disbelief, when we have it and you do mental scans, it shows up in the part of our brain that's got disgust. It's a distaste. Uh, and that's part of why if somebody is set up that they're not going to believe something, it's so hard to change the mind because you're actually disgusted by this uh, thing that you disagree with. And so most of us actually live in this kind of polar opposites of belief or disbelief. And doubt's a little bit different than disbelief. Doubt is an openness that something might be true. It's a questioning of it, but it's not fully disbelieving yet. Uh, there's a definition that I enjoyed reading from Barbara Brown Taylor, who's a pastor. She defined doubt as an openness to truth, whatever truth may turn out to be. And so doubt is entering into this, wait, what is true? And being willing to accept and be open to what might be on the other side of that door. Now, in a Christian space, uh, I don't think most of us would pose this question from a different angle would say we have everything perfectly figured out. Like most of us say, well, I've, I'm trying my best. I don't have a perfect understanding of the world. Um, and perhaps God has knowledge, has wisdom, has insight that's greater than where I'm at. And so doubt can be a part of the process of realizing God has something bigger than whatever I expected, whatever I assumed. It's an openness to a possibility that you might not currently have. And so doubt can be a potentially good thing, but again, it matters what you are doubting. Are you doubting something that's good, that actually is true, or are you doubting something that is false, that will bring pain and harm? And so in the context of doubt, um, before we get to our story of Thomas, there actually are some examples of doubting people in the Bible. Uh, in the Gospel reading of Matthew, uh, the resurrection story is perhaps a little surprising. Jesus shows up, and it doesn't go as you might expect. If you were writing the gospel from a Christian standpoint where you want to praise a resurrected Jesus, you probably don't just write this as Matthew does, uh, but maybe you might appreciate the fullness of what Matthew writes here. Matthew 28, it's the end of the gospel right next to the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission verses. So Matthew 28, verse 16, uh, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, Matthew is telling us a scene that Jesus is resurrected and in front of people, and some people are doubting that. Like, so when we think about 
uh, the, the level of doubt as just like you're not a part of Christianity, that you're outside if you ever doubt. Like the disciples themselves, some believed and worshiped and some doubted at the feet of the real resurrected Jesus. That might not be the expectation that you would have. And then Jesus gives the great commission, go make disciples of all the nations. So like he's just talking to a group who some believe and some are doubting. And some of us feel like if I could just see things, it would all be easy, it all be, make sense, it'd be perfectly simple, I'd have certainty. But like here they are in Matthew 28, just I could be in front of Jesus and I'm still going to have some questions, I'm still going to have some doubts. And that's the background, perhaps, to getting to Thomas and what Thomas might tell us about what, what God has for a space for those of us who sometimes struggle with belief. And the story of John 20 with Thomas, what's interesting is the story never says anything about the exact words doubt. John 20 never says the word doubt. It doesn't say Thomas doubted. It didn't say they think Thomas doubted. Uh, it's actually stronger than that. Uh, it says that Thomas doesn't believe, and that he has disbelief, uh, that he, he thinks that the opposite of belief, that he's not questioning it. And what Thomas does is he says, you know, he wasn't there for the original resurrection scene in the story. They tell him, we've seen Jesus raised. And Thomas says, I will never believe this unless, let me give you one criteria. If you happen to do that one criteria, okay. But I will never believe that. And it's the most emphatic form in Greek of this, con this construction. Um, behind the scenes, fun thing. Uh, Greek has two different ways to say no. Uh, different kind of tenses, different kind of moods, use different versions. Uh, and then you can push them together. Uh, and so it's like kind of a double negative, which in English becomes a positive, uh, but for them becomes an emphatic statement. I will never believe this. And to think about the 11 disciples saying, hey, we've seen the risen Jesus. And Thomas saying, no, not going to happen. I cannot believe that. And, and he says some things. I won't believe it unless you uh, have Jesus in front of me with the scars on his hands and his side. If I can see them, if I can touch them, okay, that would be the only criteria in which belief happens. But Thomas isn't sitting there wrestling with this. Like, huh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Thomas is saying, there's no situation unless this one where I'll actually come to belief. And so... Uh, in this verse, when you read things about not believe, like it's just the, um, they put the negative like prefix to the word for belief in the text. So I unbelieve, I disbelieve. And so Thomas has no belief that this is, ha has happened. What's interesting is Thomas wasn't at the crucifixion. So like he believed some things that he didn't see. Like he believes Jesus has scars on his hands and he has a wound on his side. Like, he didn't show up for the crucifixion, but he believes that has happened. Uh, but he hasn't believed in a resurrection possibility. And I think most of us are more inclined to easily believe bad news than good news. Whether that's bad news about somebody else and their intentions and their motivations or whatever. Um, if you hear a news story and it's about somebody has died or whatever it is, like the bad news, like, yep, that probably happened. If it's a good news story, you might actually struggle. You're like, what's the weird angle going on here? <laughs> I don't know if this is actually a, a nice, positive story. Who's making profit off of this story? And we assume to the bad news. 
But Thomas believes that Jesus has been crucified, does not believe that he is raised and that his disciples have seen him. And it's into that situation that we get another resurrection story in the text, that Jesus shows back up in the text. So I want to suggest several different things that we can uh, take as some advice from the text today, some suggestions, some helps for us. If you're in a place of doubt or if you're in a place trying to help others with doubt, here's what the text has for us today. I actually want to start with the end. We should look for, delight, and find good news that is worth believing. Find something actually worth putting your trust in, putting your hope in, putting your belief in. Uh, Because there are some things that are not hills worth dying on, of like this random belief fact. You're like, well, maybe that's not the one uh, to put my whole identity in. But what is something actually worth believing in? John tells us that he wrote the stories of this gospel, not because he didn't think about why he was writing these stories, but he was intentional. He wrote these stories so that you might believe and that you might have life. Some of us are feeling like have made our faith into, did you just have the right propositional beliefs? Did I have the right, this statement is true, that statement's true? But like the belief is all about life. And belief should develop into life. And if your belief system is toxically growing into pain and abuse and misuse, it is an opportunity to rethink what in my belief system has gone astray. Uh, But where the gospel is, where the Bible is read correctly, it surprises us with bringing out life. It brings life where it doesn't look like there might be life. And so if you're trying and, and, and you're struggling to believe something, ask, is there life here? Is there something of value that's actually worth wrestling over, that's worth entering into this leap of faith with? And as Christians... Uh, We proclaim that there's hope and there's resurrection, and that's something of grand value, that it's a life, but not just a life in the future. Like, because sometimes we diminish it into that, that it's about life after you die, but that you might have life now, that there's actually an abundance of life that's possible here. And so there's something worth wrestling with if you're struggling to believe, uh, because there's actually life here. If you're struggling to believe, this text invites us to just show up. Thomas doesn't believe, and yet he keeps showing up with his friends. You know, sometimes we feel like our church environment's supposed to be a place where just everybody already believes everything. But like, what is it that somebody says, I'm showing up here, I don't believe any of this, but I'm still gonna show up today. I'm gonna show up because who knows what might happen, but like, I see something of value here, and I don't really believe this, but like something here is compelling me that I want to be here. And so if you're someone who doubts, sometimes there's a a temptation to like fall away, to isolate yourself, to hide, to feel like you're the only one with those questions. And once you hide, you kind of keep yourself there. Um, And you cut yourself off from the possibility that becomes experiences, that becomes walking with somebody and learning something new. And you cut yourself off from that. And so this text invites you to be like Thomas. Just show up. You know, it's eight days later. He's with the disciples. He's there. And he's there 
for a new possibility. And you might not be the one who doubts all the time. Maybe you're not the one asking questions. But maybe you might be like Thomas's friends, his disciple, the other disciples. Maybe you might be like the friends who said, you can still gather with us even though you disbelieve the very thing we're most excited about, the very thing we're most hopeful for. Our whole life is, is revolving around this truth that Christ has raised and he's with us. You don't believe, but yet you have a place here with me. What is it to be communities of faithful who, who open up the doors and say, hey, you don't have to believe everything with us, but we hope that you'll join us because something might happen here and we want you to be a part of it. I think sometimes as churches, we kind of want um, like fully mature Christians as those who are, are new people to the faith in our community. Like we want them to believe every facet of the same theological precision uh, that our community is kind of at. When the reality is, is the disciples were never in that category. They didn't believe much. They, they were struggling. They kept getting answers wrong that Jesus would ask them. Uh, Thomas, he doesn't believe and he shows up. Like, what is it to be a space that is welcoming that, hey, whatever you believe today, you are welcome in our midst. You can be here for what God might do in our midst. And so find a community worth uh, risking belief with, worth, worth showing up to, to follow God perhaps with. Find a community that's safe for that. Uh, what's so challenging is many of us have not found safety for questions, not have safety for those moments where we've been like da Thomas and just said, I don't believe this. Uh, I know growing up I had a lot of um, school or church situations in which if you asked a question you were seen as like the outcast like, oh no, he asked that question. And you internalize that of like, there are things I shouldn't ask about, uh, I shouldn't question. And for me, like, it was so um, growing to enter into uh, a college, like, theolo theology class environment where it was like, no, we want to ask questions. <laughs> Let's explore. Um, but it was a safe place. And you knew that there were also those in the room who have traveled that journey and have been out the other side who are uh, practicing Christians who love God and who are not afraid of questions, who aren't identity challenged of, oh no, if I ask this question, uh, I'm gonna be kicked out of the community. And what is it for the church to re-enter into this setting where you can have your disciples gather together, somebody doesn't believe, but yet you can still be with us. You can still see what God might do in our midst. Join us. One of the really great news of this story is that God is like that too. And that God is the greatest model and example of this. That no matter what doubts or disbeliefs or whatever you've struggled with, that God doesn't shun you whenever you fail, whenever you've fallen short, whenever you've uh, believed the wrong thing. Uh, we believe that Jesus is the greatest um, visual for us as humans, the greatest example, model that we see who God is and all that Jesus is, all of his life and his teachings. And when Jesus shows up, he doesn't come and just like chastise Thomas and say, how dare you get out? How dare you let Thomas be here? Get him out of here. But Jesus shows up and is offering himself to Thomas. Like there's that abundance of like, I want Thomas 
to know, to believe, to understand, and I'm not threatened by the fact. Like Jesus didn't come back and say, man, it, I, I guess I didn't come back then. Thomas didn't believe me. He's not worried or fretting about it. He just wants to help grow life in that community that's there. And so God can handle uh, the, the attacks, the disbelief, whatever it is that you throw at God. Um, God shows up in the room and offers you wounds and scars and marks and say, hey, here's the, the things that you've done that have hurt me, but like, know that they are resurrected, that, that they didn't bring death and despair forever, uh, but these wounds are resurrected and they're here to bring healing. And I think it's so beautiful, this image of those resurrected scars that Thomas wants to see and that Jesus offers, uh, because some of us just want the pristine Jesus of like, Let's act as if nothing bad ever happened to him. Let's act as if nothing bad ever is going on. Let's just only do the pretty good news. But like the resurrected scars is that reminder that life has its pains and that those pains can be brought back, that they can be lifted up. And so maybe the disbelief, maybe when you've said, God, I don't believe in you, whatever you've thrown at God, God can still show up and offer and say, hey, I can resurrect that. Whatever disbelief that's still there, I can raise that. Here, look at me. See. And so God is inviting to those of us who struggle to believe. I don't know if I can believe this. God will show up and always is present with you in the midst of that. Now, Jesus does also offer a beatitude, a blessing, a statement uh, that offers, here is the, the great celebration um, that some of us really struggle to believe and have a hard time. Um, and some people, maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe belief is, is a little bit easier for you. Uh, but Jesus has a, a blessing that he announces in John 20. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. It's that note that it's not expected, it's not assumed that, of course, everybody would believe. Uh, it's a blessing. How blessed are you? How fortunate? How happy are those who you didn't get visual signs? You didn't get the certainty that you wanted. You had to trust, and you did trust. You did believe that there's a blessing and a happiness and a fortunate state for those who are willing to not have to make their list of, here's the only things that will force me to believe because it'll be certain at that point. And so if you found life in God's words, if you found hope and resurrection, if you found something worth believing in, and you found a community and a God who are willing to be open and inviting in the midst of that struggle, know that there is a blessing for those who are able to believe even when uh, it is not certain, even when there's not 100% proof, there's not videotapes, there's not whatever precise thing that you would want to find certainty. And so uh, you are invited to be on that faith journey, to be on that trusting, to be in that belief space like, like the disciples are going through. That not all of them believed easily. Not all of them believed at the beginning of the story. Uh, they're learning. They're growing. And so if you've struggled with belief, uh, know that you are on the same journey and that God is with you on that journey. If you found that you've gotten to 
a place where you feel uh, that your faith is strong and that you've, your belief is strong, it's a note to like invite others into that space and into that life. Not only just make it safe for somebody to be in the room, uh, but we all have resurrected scars for those of us who have been on that journey with Christ. And what is it to be at a, spa- a safe place and to offer up those resurrected wounds to someone and say, here's what my life was like. Uh, I was angry. I was impatient. I was selfish. I was prideful. Whatever it is, and say, here's how God has brought life into that space. That we might take Jesus' example and go into other rooms and show resurrected scars so that we might maybe give somebody else another chance to believe when they are struggling to believe. What is it for us to become visible signs of what God can do? And so we are all invited to reflect on that, to think on it. What scars might you offer to someone to say, here's what God has lifted up from death, from despair, from doubt, and invite others into that path and that journey of faith with you. And so I want to conclude with the ending of that chapter, which was about why this book was written. We started there, we'll stop there. Um, John says that he wrote this book, that you could have written all sorts of other stories. Jesus did many other things. Um, But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. One of the things that I love, you, you might notice, I love the tension of texts and the uncertainty of things. The scribal tradition, we talked about that with the ending of Mark, how Mark has these different conclusions as other scribes didn't like the ending. They wanted to add other things there. Uh, This text has a scribal tradition of one letter difference. You might think one letter doesn't make a difference, Um, but one letter shapes the verb about belief and the purpose of the Gospel of John. One form of it is, this is written so that you might come to believe, as if you don't believe yet, and this book is written so you might enter into belief for the first time. And there are those of us who maybe have never said yes to believing in God and what God might do in your life. And this book, this gospel, the good news, is written so that you might, for the first time, maybe enter into that journey and say yes to what God might do with you. But there's another reading, depending on which letter you have on that verb, that's so that you may continue to believe. As if you've experienced the faith already before you've even encountered this book, that you've seen Christianity lived out, that God's resurrection power lived in people in your life. Maybe you haven't gotten to a written text yet. You haven't read the Bible for yourself. Uh, And so you might already enter into the story having believed. And if you've been on this gospel journey for, for many, many years, this gospel is written so that you might continue to believe, that the reading of it continues to reinforce and encourage and develop a maturity of faith, And that it wasn't just about saying yes to believing something a long time ago, but that you continue to choose to believe. And that through believing, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, that in that path of believing, you might have life. And that gospel hope is not just that you had the right profession of faith precisely always, but that in the midst of that journey of faith and believing, you might have life today. And that is the good news 
that in that struggle, wherever you are on that trajectory of believing in what God can do, you are invited to have life today. May you have a blessing as you believe without always seeing. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you know that there are times when all of us have believed things that are too small about you, have limited you. Lord, help us to have a holy doubt where we have wrongfully boxed you in. Lord, also help us to have a faith and a trusting that when certainty wants to reign in our lives, that we actually follow and trust in you. Lord, help us to be open to the possibility of what you might be doing in our midst, in our midst and in those around us. Lord, we ask that you would give us a, a courage to take a leap of faith with you, that those who have never, uh, never said yes to your love, who have never said yes to your grace, that they might come to that first step of that journey of saying yes. Lord, we ask that you would ask, that you would move in people's lives so that they would show up to possibility, that they'd show up and that we would be a community that would be inviting to those who are exploring your creation and your majesty. Lord, transform us. Renew our minds. Help us to find where you have resurrected parts of our lives already. Lord, help us to see those resurrected wounds and scars and to offer them to others so that they might come to know you better too. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.